for those who have tasted of the Father's love will never want to stray. He will hold you close, and the very desire for evil will part from you. That's why no one has ever heard of an incident of a real Christian ever making a mistake. The left-wing media wants to show you stories of people in churches who have done wrong, but we know none of them could have possibly been a real Christian. Amen? This is The Bible After Hours. Can you hear me? Is this, is this thing on? Okay, good. I am the foul-mouthed preacher, and this is the underground church. The word vulgar originally just meant to speak the language of the people. That's what I'm going to do today. This isn't about using strong language just for the sake of being provocative or anything like that. It's about speaking the language that people actually speak. So if you have children in the car or wherever you are, get the children away, pause this, come back some other time. You've been warned. So the church above, a majority of the church above, the evangelical church, wants you to think that salvation is a clear-cut, one-time event. I prayed, you know, pray after me, say these words, boom, bada-bang, you're saved. That those who really have a relationship with Jesus, they won't want to sin, right? They want people to feel bad or like something is wrong with them if they still have evil desires or they make mistakes occasionally. They want people to act like, they want to act like they never make mistakes themselves. People feeling like they aren't good Christians or like something is wrong with them is exactly what leads to never seeking for help or being able to truly live in freedom and forgiveness. You know, the whole thing that like Christ died to make us free. Christ died so that we can have forgiveness. Uh, we can't live in that. As long as we feel like we're not going to be good Christians if we occasionally mess up or we're not good Christians if we still have bad desires from time to time. That mindset, that spirit, is completely antithetical to the gospel. Guys, uh, I'm a fuck-up. I always have been, and I probably always will be. Um, I'm better than I used to be. I'm continuing to become better. But I have no illusion that I will ever become perfect. At least, you know, the side of the grave. I grew up in the church, and I loved God. But I fell into this legalism. Now, you know, I think I really did have a relationship with God. I really did feel love and love God and love, received love from God. But I thought I could please God on my own. Um, I forgot that my, about my relationship with him in a particular way. Um, but then I found God again when I realized what the relationship actually was. That it wasn't about any rules or how God wanted me to live. It was about just the relationship. Um, of course, then I fell back into my flesh and I did things that weren't pleasing to God, right? You know, sinned, um, did legalism, said stuff, hateful things against the church, not for construction, but just because I was mad, you know, all those kind of things. But then I found some spiritual practices that helped bring structure to my life that helped, you know, kind of build me back up that weren't rules, but structure. And that helped me get close to God again. Um, then I experienced death and loss in my family and I blamed God and I got mad at him and I tried to ignore everything that was spiritual. I screw it all, right? Fuck it. But then once again, I was brought back to my relationship with God through various events. Um, I've not always been faithful. I've, bl I have blasphemed. I've taught heresy. 
I have taught hate against God's church. I've even watched pornography in the church building before. God has no reason to stick by me, or to love me, or to keep me as one of his workers. Yet, he does. Some powerful words. Yet, he does. He even expects me to fuck up. Occasionally. He's accounted for it, actually, and he's planned accordingly because God desires relationships with all of his followers. Even a sinner such as I. Even a sinner such as you. Even all the fuck-ups. God wants a relationship with the fuck-ups. Too often, preachers speak against the media. They speak against the ways of the world. And just kind of vague, sinful lifestyles. They seldom leave it. Well, they speak of their own sins or their own faults, right? It's always like that stuff that's out there that's evil in the world. Fuck those guys. I mean, you know, they don't say fuck, but we hate those guys. We hate the media. We hate that politician. We hate this. We hate that. And they, maybe they won't even use the word hate because maybe they're smart enough to know that that's anti-biblical. So they use another word, but still mean hate. They never speak of their own fuck-ups. When an average churchgoer hears the man behind the pulpit, on stage, lifted up like an idol, speak about how terrible the sins that they struggle with are, and never mentioning his own faults. They're left to feel like real Christians don't sin. The real Christians are the ones behind the pulpits. The people like them in the pews that don't talk about the things that they do during the week, that don't talk about their fuck-ups. The real people aren't the real Christians. They're not good Christians. The good Christians are these fake people behind the pulpits because they don't realize they're fake who live perfect little lives. Again, not every church is like this, but th this is this is a scenario that plays out a lot. Maybe even they feel like the pastor is closer to God than they are because of their sins. Maybe they feel like they can't be as close to God as the guy behind the pulpit because sometimes they have to make church, miss church on Sunday to work. Sometimes they can't pay their tithes or they'll miss a light bill or whatever. They're made to feel less than a pastor, less than the official you know, the, the professional Christians. They're made to feel less than just for being fucking human. And it's not okay. Today we're going to start a series about the book of Judges. And I'm not going to be like the ordinary pastor. We're going to start in one and then go to two. And listen, I'm just going to talk about the things, the stories that I like in the book of Judges. The ones I think make the most sense. Or you know, the ones that are most significant, even if I don't like them. You know, I did talk about Jonah, even though my least favorite story of all time. But what is the book of Judges about? Why are we starting there? Great news, the book of Judges is about people like us, the common people. The book of Judges is just about a bunch of fuck-ups who God chose, favored, and loved. The whole book of Judges just kind of repeats the same cycle over and over. In fact, it's even laid out in the first couple chapters. It says, hey, this is the cycle. Here's what the fuck-ups are going to do this book. And yet, it takes the time after that chapter to tell you exactly what happened anyway. The cycle goes like this. God's chosen people, Israelites, they fucked up. They sinned. They worshipped idols. They, you know, did some sexual stuff, you know, whatever. Um, God's like, all right, I know how to punish them. I'm going to let this neighboring nation come take over and rule them and treat them like slaves. Also, this is part of why the Bible is, like, literal, kind of has problems. This is how the people of Israel viewed what God was doing at this time. I don't think it's necessarily what God was actually doing. I struggle with this a lot, though. Maybe that's for another time. Maybe not. Um, 
There's a lot of this part of the Bible that's history, that's actually important to understand how God interacts and loves with us, that also kind of is like, oh, that's um, that's contrary to these other things that the Bible says about God, and it's actually just impossible to make sense of them. That's again why I can't believe in a literal Bible, because how can I believe this story about a God who does this, and this statement about a God who couldn't possibly do that thing? It just doesn't make sense. But in this book... This is what God does. God sends people to judge, attack, enslave, and treat his people like shit. And once they've reached the all-time low, once they've just got tired of the shit, they humble themselves, they pray, they beg God for forgiveness, they come back to me. And then God says, yeah, cool, that's all I wanted. Loves them, favors them, they get blessings, they get treated great. And when everything's going great, they're like, hey, man, let's let's live it up. This is great. We're going to just keep on going into this hedonist kind of lifestyle and you know what you know what also is fun it's fun to worship idols it's fun to have sex with random people it's fun to do this and they just keep adding to the fun and god goes wait a minute then i just punish you for that and then he uh, punishes them again with the same thing another neighboring nation comes and slaves them etc if you pay close attention it's not the whole of israel doing this each time a lot of times it's just certain tribes or certain parts of israel but it is a cycle and it's an intentional cycle of israel fucking up god punishing israel apologizing god favoring Israel fucking up again. And that cycle exists everywhere. It's not just the book of Judges and, hey, this happened once, let's all move on. doesn't happen again in the story. It happens all throughout the Bible. It happens all throughout my life. You know, I told you I was legalistic, but I loved God. But then I took the legalism too far. And then I got pulled away from God. Then lived, you know, whatever kind of lifestyle. Then I came back to God and I loved him more. Then, you know, accidents, death, tragedy, and I fall apart. And then I come back to to God again, and that's just a cycle that I go through, and I think most normal, common people go through. It's also a cycle of nations, cycle of, of organizations, the cycle of the church even. I mean, yeah, the early church, you have the disciples, you have the apostles, you even have their initial disciples. It's on fire for God. It's doing great. People are speaking in tongues, speaking every tongue and language, bringing the gospel to everyone, sharing love, and truly impacting the Roman Empire in a significant way to where it even makes Christianity its religion because of what a great and positive impact that Christianity had on it. But then the Christians got a little too used to that power. A little Christian nationalism crept in. And what ended up happening is the Roman Empire fell. And the Christians were blamed because they didn't want to, you know, participate in the war because they were nonviolent at the time. That's what Christianity was. It was a nonviolent religion at that time. They got a lot of the blame for Roman Empire falling because they wouldn't fight. Then you had Augustine and Jerome and different leaders at that time, 300s, 400s, who started building different theologies about war, about fighting, different theologies about Christianity to make sense of its own history. And the church kind of revived itself, you know, came alive. We had the Holy Roman Empire. And of course, it kind of got sick with power again. Thought everybody should be Christian and hated anybody who wasn't Christian because it got so used to everybody wanting to be Christian because it is. It's an attractive religion. And then you have the Spanish Inquisition. You have them going in and taking these Muslim empires, families, kingdoms, people, human beings, slaughtering them for heresy, forcing them to convert. The church got wicked and dark. By the time Luther and the reformers come around, a lot of the church is... You know, saying you have to pay penance to help your loved ones get out of purgatory or whatever else. And they're, they're making up a bunch of shit that actually isn't what the church taught. But they were able to do that because they didn't have cell phones. So nobody could just be like, wait a minute. I saw that tweet. That's not right. They were just able to have sections that were just completely evil, disconnected from the overall Catholic church. 
And then you had Luther come up, though. You had Calvin. You had the Reformers come, and they started the Protestant Reformation. And then after that, the Catholic Church responded with the Council of Trent and responded in kind and corrected itself. And the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church are kind of going back into the cycle of closer to God, understanding his relationship to us better. And of course, now you have today, right? You have divisions, you have hatred, you have you know, polarization, uh, political violence. Are we going to go back to God again? I think probably. I think, we're, I think we're about due for another revival. But it's a cycle. It's going to happen again and again and again, right? I think Luther, Martin Luther, man, he was close to God. He also was a kind of, you know, really bad towards the Jewish people. You had Calvin, who kind of was a tyrant of a city at one point, even though he had some great theology and led the Reformation, did great. C.S. Lewis, there's a lot there. There's a lot of theological stuff that he was just kind of fucked up a little bit. Um, how C.S. Lewis talked about women sometimes, not great. Martin Luther King Jr., man, powerful speaker, powerful preacher, powerful man of God, also cheated on his wife a lot. The men of God go through these cycles. They're all fuck-ups. They're all saints, but they're all fuck-ups. They're all men of God who truly changed things in the world for the better and also fucked up sometimes. There's a show um, called The Good Place, and it kind of illustrates this in a beautiful way where everybody, turns out, is going to the bad place. And yeah, this is actually kind of a bit of a spoiler, but it turns out everybody has been going to the bad place for a long time. For a really long time. And when they investigate it, they realize it's because there isn't any action that can get them enough good points. Everything's getting them bad points. You know, buying an apple at the grocery store. Well, it turns out that was, you know, apple caused by slave labor, caused by this, caused by that. Because we live in a wicked, fuck up world. And everybody's actually just a little bit fucked up anyway. It turns out it's impossible to be good enough. Good Place isn't a Christian show, by the way. This is just common understanding. If you really study and observe the world, for moral philosophy, ethic philosophy, you're going to come to the fact that we're all fuck-ups in a fucked-up world. And it's not a fair expectation that people can do good enough to get in with God. The good news, though, God knows this. The writers of the Bible knew this. In fact, the word for salvation in the Greek, that's usually the one that's used in the New Testament, is has a very particular tense used in the Greek that kind of means something that has happened and continues to happen. So it would be like happened, but happening at the same time. So salvation is something that you're saved, but you're still being saved too. Um, Romans 7, 19 through 8, 2. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. I want to do good, basically, is what he's saying, but I don't do it. And then the evil stuff, the bad stuff that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing goes on and says, but if I am doing the very thing that I do not want to do, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me is doing it. I find then that the principle, that evil is present in me, the one that wants to do good. Evil is present in the people who want to be good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God and the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. My mind wants to do good. I'm thinking of good things. My mind is on God. My heart is on God. My body, my lust, my hormones, uh, not so much. In fact, they, they usually win. My instincts to be perverted, to be 
evil, to be selfish, usually when out over my mind who wants to do good. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. My mind, I'm serving God. With my flesh, I'm serving sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. There's no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. So there's this conflict in ourselves where we want to do good. We know what the good thing is, but we often don't do it because our body wasn't made for righteousness. Which, hey, that goes against some of the creation narrative, which, you know, kind of hints at some of the doctrine of original sin, a bunch of other stuff. Who knows? That stuff gets complicated. What we do know is presently, I want to do good, but I don't do it. That's my inner conflict. But the spirit of Jesus that I've invited in me when I accepted salvation is better than that inner conflict. And can be, can, can start the salvation process and work in me a new work so that I'm no longer stuck torn between my mind and body, but I can instead live in the spirit, not subjected to the law, not subjected to just wanting to do good and knowing what the right thing is, but also not subjected to my body, to the fleshly desires of wanting to go live out for just happiness and hedonism. Free from blood, living in the spirit, living in Jesus, because I'm able to synchronize with him. And that's not something that happens overnight. I'm being saved, right? Something that's continuing to happen. I mean, they're going to fuck up from time to time because my body is still my body. I still am a saint that has this sinful desire in me. And I still know what is good and can't do it. But I also know that I can come back into the spirit, get back in tune with Jesus, get back in tune with what I'm supposed to be and grow a little bit more and be saved a little bit more, if you will, because it's a continual thing. Guys, I know, I know it's... It's hard being fuck-ups, right? Like, it's hard not being able to do all the good that you want to do in the world. Man, there's so much that I know I should be doing, that I wish I could do for my life, for my family, for the world around me, for, for my country. But my hormones, my fear, my emotions, my bodily desires, my need to eat, a lot of stuff. It gets in the way. It gets in the way of being the good that I want to be. And my mind... You know, I could get wrapped up in just knowing all of the good things that I could be doing, knowing all these things about the Bible and just focusing there and thinking that maybe, you know, mind over body, right? I can, I can do this and just force myself to do it. But the, the fact is, I, I can't. I have to stop relying on my own self, on my own mind, and learn to get in sync with Jesus and let Jesus take the wheel. I know that's fucking awful, overused, pain in the ass statement, but, but also it's kind of true. The thing is, you can't rely on your own mental strength. And you sure as hell can't rely on your body, but you can rely on God, on Jesus. That cycle is going to exist. You're going to keep fucking up, repenting, fucking up, repenting. The whole time God loved his people all through the book of Judges. The whole time God's loved me all through my cycle. The whole time God's loved his church all through their fuck ups. And the whole time God loves you. The whole time, whether you're in a state right now where you're fucking up and you wish you were doing better, whether you're in a state right now where you're doing pretty good, God loves you the same either way. And he's going to love you through the cycle into his spirit, into life and out of sin and death.
Because that's that's the thing. That's the thing that sin is. Sin is death. Sin leads to death. And, and if you know what I'm talking about, when you know the right things to do and you can't do it, you just feel dead inside. But when you get back in line with Jesus, back in that spirit, back in your prayer life, and you truly connect, you truly engage in that relationship with God, his word, his son, and his spirit, you feel alive again. So what I want you to do today is pretty easy. Just relax. It's okay. It's okay if you're fucking up. It's okay if you're a fuck up. It's okay. Meditate and thank God for his continual mercy and love. Thank God for his sacrifice, for his understanding, and for the continual work of salvation in you. I believe if you allow yourself to feel God's love and understanding, you're going to find that it's just it's a little easier to cut yourself from slack. You don't have to judge yourself, feel like you're not a good Christian. You don't have to... to you know, feel like shit all the time, feel bad about yourself, or feel like one person's more of a Christian than you, or that one person's closer to God than you. God, God loves all the fuck-ups. Even Martin Luther, even Z.S. Lewis, even Martin Luther King Jr., even the foul-mouthed preacher, and even you. What you do, and when you kind of accept that, is that God loves you as the fuck-up that you are. You're going to feel encouraged by your mistakes, that God's still working on you, that the work's not done yet. Rather than feeling defeated because you messed up or like giving up on your salvation because you just can't do it, you're going to feel encouraged that God is still working on you because we're all fuck ups and that's okay. And so I don't, I don't want you to share this on your public social media accounts and, you know, my defense, buddy, don't do anything like that. Instead, share this with just one person or a family member who you think might benefit from hearing this or engaging in this kind of conversation. Share it with them. Talk to them about it, about how you're a fuck-up, how they're a fuck-up, and how God loves you anyway. Let's bring some understanding. Let's bring acceptance. Let's bring honesty about our mistakes back to the church. And let's bring the church back to the common people. Thank you for listening. This was an Anazal Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, go to the website in the description below. If you'd like to check out other shows like this, be sure to subscribe to the network.